This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. I'm Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Welcome to AutoCorrect, helping you correct your auto problems. Our host is Coach Charlie Melton, ASE Certified Master Technician. I'm Liz Gill. Hello, Coach Charlie. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, you know, we get a lot of questions about how often do I need to change my oil or when do I need to change the brake fluid? Well, I think we have got some handy-dandy answers today, and Coach can also take your repair questions. So, gosh, Coach, if there was only one place we could go to know how often we need to change our oil... Well, there was, once again, it's that handy owner's manual. When you get a new car, you get a stack of books about two inches long, and they do have a maintenance guide in there uh, where they can schedule all of these different services. And there are so many different services that you need to do on your car in order to keep it up. There's things to check. If it's just a 27-point uh, multi checklist, they give you that, and that can include your oil, your uh, windshield wipers, your uh, all types of filters, your tires, and we'll go through all that because I got that sitting right here, very handy in front of me. Fantastic! Yeah, I love it when you you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Cars are hard enough, but you know it, it's it's one of these things. If you do your work ahead of time, if you do it when it's you're supposed to, when you do it when you think about it, then the rest is just so much easier. Well, that's why it's called preventive maintenance. So you get the, you take care of it now, and then you ain't got that major problem later, like you said. So not having the problems later is one good reason for doing the preventive maintenance. But I would also think if you're going to sell this vehicle, you know, some people run their keep their cars until they they just die, die, die. But other people maybe want to trade for something else or sell it to a, a another party. And if you've got the receipts? Well, if you have a de- detailed uh, schedule maintenance and all the receipts and you show where you have taken care of that car, you're going to get more money for that car, especially if it's in the private sector. Now, if you're going to wholesale it to a dealer, uh, they're going to give you what they're going to give you. But if you're trying to sell it to a private individual, they want to know what has been done to that car and when it's been done to that car. And some things we talk about at different timelines, you just go ahead and replace it because it's going to go bad and you you need to get it done. But then other things, you just have to kind of test along the way. Right. Uh, if you're, you know, at the very beginning, you got a new vehicle, there's not a whole bunch of maintenance besides changing oil and checking the tires and checking the fluids. But then as that vehicle gets older, there are things that are going to wear out that need to be replaced, be replaced at certain intervals. Yes. We're talking today about your service schedule. Our email address for questions is auto at mpbonline.org. But it's a call-in show, and folks have called in, so let's go to Bobby in Pontotoc. Bobby, what's going on with you today? What's your comment or question? I've got a 
question that's confusing me and everybody else, too. When I stop at a red light, my motor goes dead and cranks back up when I start off. And uh, some other people's got cars like that. And everybody keeps saying we need to turn that off because it wears our starter out. Does that is that true? It wears your starter out? Well, they have made these starters a lot better now. And they say that by you cutting it off and cranking it up doesn't bother does not bother that starter but i haven't heard anything about repairing those starters or anything about going off i have that same type of vehicle but what i do i don't like the annoyance of it cutting on and off i just cut the button off and leave it running well it, it don't really wear your starter out doing that does it it does not wear your starter out they have made these starters where they will not wear out and really that is a hybrid vehicle matter of fact uh the manufacturer was able to instead of just having batteries in there to make it a hybrid vehicle they were able to if you cut the car off that means that it's saving energy and they made it a hybrid vehicle well i, I couldn't understand that i don't think a lot of other people understand that they think boy that's gonna wear your starter out <laughs> no it right. ain't, it's not gonna hurt that starter all right that's all i want to know thank you thank you Thanks, Bobby. Now, I know we're, we're kind of veering into other territories, but for big 18-wheelers, is they don't cut their – they keep theirs running, don't yeah, they? Yeah, they keep theirs running because uh, they have these big heavy starters on there, and it takes more to turn that engine, and that's the reason they keep theirs running all the time. So I think maybe some folks may think, well, trucks don't keep theirs run you know they don't turn theirs on and off so maybe they think it's the same as a car no it's uh different type starters uh they do these high torque starters now in these vehicles in these cars uh they're smaller starters but more power my mama used to always say you you, you can't turn things on and off too many times or you're going to break it but uh with the cars and that that uh, this is a uh, is a way to save some of the environment and i saw a silly a post a New York City to try to cut down on engine idling and uh, pollution in the city. They had a promotion. It was Billy Idol. Billy Idol doesn't idle. That's right. Well, you know, you're talking about idling these 18 wheelers out there that run off diesel and all. There is a mandatory time, uh, especially school buses, and they, they had to cut those vehicles off after a certain amount of time. Oh, okay. They, they cannot sit there and idle. All right. Well, we, we, we want to have good air to, to breathe. Let's go to Jackson and talk to Jason. Jason, we're glad that you've called in today. What is your comment or question for us? Uh, both have come in on a question. Uh, thank you. Um, first, I want to say that they say you don't get what you pay for, but with MPB and AutoCorrect, you get a lot, a lot more. <laughs> I called in about probably about three months ago. I had a... Uh, belt tensioner that uh, the, the bolt broke off and I asked coach if you could bypass that tensioner and I finally found the appropriate size belt at least to run around the uh, around the alternator and it's one of those stretch belts so you stretch it out over the pulleys and it kind of cinches up and it stays in place and then I checked the alternators at 14.4 volts and so it's been working great for uh, um, all this time so a great fix that saved me about uh, roughly about fourteen hundred dollars. <laughs> I oh, paid twenty seven for the belt, and uh, it works works great. Uh, so thank you. 
And um, and I have a question uh, now. This is unrelated, but it's the same car. I've got a uh, 2004 Honda Odyssey with about 325,000 miles on it. And, of course, the, uh, the uh, malfunction light, the engine light, is uh, kind of intermittently going on and off. And I read the code, and it said a P, I believe, P0172, which is a bank one code. And um, so I, I cleaned out the mass airflow sensor and, and actually kind of, you know, unscrewed the uh, oxygen sensor and cleaned it and stuff. And, it, and the code went uh, went away after I, re, re, uh, you know, um, un unhooked the battery and hooked it back up. But what I'm wondering is this. When I open the gas cap, usually um, usually there's some pressure in there, and you hear that little release of pressure that's, you know. Um, and I've inspected the gas cap. It looks fine, and, uh, but uh, and I always click it, you know, the at least three times or more. I'm probably over-clicked it. Who knows? But I'm wondering if it could be the gas cap, which could be throwing that code, or there's something further on down the line. Well, it sounds like to me if a one seven a zero one seven two and a zero one seven four, those are lean codes. Uh, means that the vehicle is running lean. Okay, and okay. or a or a evamp okay. code. Now, on those codes, um, you always want to check that gasket around the uh, gas cap because what happens the engine. Uh, really puts a vacuum on that gas tank because it's a closed system and they put a vacuum on that gas right. tank and then how it reads it, it has a monitoring system and how it reads it is how fast that vacuum leaves that tank. Okay. okay. And, and then it will tell you if you have a small leak or a gross leak. A gross leak is like 144, okay. I do believe. But what I would do first, I'd go ahead and check that um, gas cap and see if that gasket has anywhere, you know, with 300-some-odd miles on it, you don't put a lot of gas in there, so that means that it probably has quite a bit of wear in there. So you could change the gas cap. That's an easy fix if that's it. Now, another thing, you said you took your oxygen sensors out and you cleaned them. What did you clean them with? Well, uh, I was afraid you'd ask that, but I did use uh, rubbing alcohol because they had mentioned that as a substitute for uh, – for that mass airflow cleaner, but you don't want to use the carb cleaner or whatever. Because, and then I let it dry out, you know, for like an hour and a half or so. So Okay, um, you always I want hope- to be careful with those cleaning, any of that stuff with alcohol or anything because, or any type of chemical that you clean it with, because what it does, it will pick up any traces of it and the contamination will change the fuel ratio and then the computer will pick that up. So you just want to be careful what you clean them with because if you contaminate them, they're not going to work right. Sure. Sure. Okay. And with that gas cap seal, like I checked the rubber seal and it, it seems to be, you know, intact. It's not frayed or worn or anything, but I'm wondering about the, the little clicking thing. There's like a little plastic dot in there and I don't know if that could be, uh, broken or something, does that would that put pressure on the system even though the gasket is kind of in there tight? Well, you would just want to make sure what, like you say, you would take the cap off if it was uh, pretty low and you'd have a lot of pressure in there. More you, more yeah. gas you got in there, less pressure you're going to have because you can't get okay. as much air in there. Okay. okay, so if I had a half a tank, it might not be pressurized a lot right. normally. 
Right. So okay. you, you, you may not hear that coming out of the gas cap when you take I'm it not, off. Okay. I might need to go fill it up and, and then uh, see if it's pressurized. Then yeah. And, then. and the, what code was that? Uh, P0172. It said bank one and it said rich. But uh, Yeah, so the one is a rich code, and one is, uh, I think, 7-4 is a lean code. And a rich code, if you understand what rich means, that means it's putting too much gas in the engine. Okay, yeah. if it's on bank one, what I would do, since it's on bank one, that means that it's isolated, that you could have a leaky hose over there, you could have a gasket leak. But I'm going to do a little research on that code, and next week I'll talk a little bit about it and tell you what I come up with. Oh, that'd be awesome. I sure appreciate it. It's Thank kind, you. Is it, I mean, the car is running really well. Is it okay to to drive? Uh, I'm I'm actually going out of town in a different car this weekend, but uh, um, uh, if there was something really bad wrong, I mean, if I see that light on, can I, is it kind of okay to drive it? Does the light stay on? It has been. Um, like, it went off yesterday, but then I got back in the car at night and it was back on. Yeah, that's so. uh, once again. Let me explain. Those lights are really for emission control. They're yeah. telling you if you're polluting a little bit. But yeah, it's it's uh, you can drive it. It's just like I say, it's running rich on one bank. You can drive it. Okay. All right. I sure appreciate. It. I got one little comment just about preventive maintenance. I actually changed my transmission fluid last week and it was dirty, but I couldn't get the bolt off. From underneath, so I siphoned it out the the dipstick too. But my question is this: I know on the Honda, and I didn't know if it was a universal thing that the bolt on the inside of the reservoir has a magnet which uh, catches the metal debris, the metal shavings. Is that a universal thing, or is that just particular to the Hondas? Well, it may not have a boat. It may have a magnet in the pan, but they all have something to catch those uh, metal filings that are in the okay. engine from, I mean, in the transmission from wearing. But they do have something to catch those metal filings, yes. Okay, okay. I was just wondering about that. Well, now, let me sure ask you a question it. real quick while you're on there. Did you change the filter? I did not. I didn't get into that. I was just... So I need to change the filter too, I guess. Well, if you're going to change the transmission fluid, uh, some Hondas had a screw-on uh, filter like an oil filter. So you might want to check that. It may just uh -huh. have a screw-on filter. Okay. I'll look into that too. Then I was wondering about, because this one, the end of the bolt has the magnet, and I couldn't get the bolt off, so the, I couldn't clean that bolt. But I imagine it still mag I mean, it still magnetizes stuff, but maybe uh, just not, not quite as well. Yeah, it'll still pick up whatever is filing throughout the fluid. Okay. Thanks, Jason. We appreciate you calling in. If you've got a question, send us your emails to auto at mpbonline.org. We're talking about your service schedule, and, and I say your schedule because it might be different from my schedule. We'll hear what Coach has to say about that. Is your car under recall? I'm going to tell you about some next. You're listening to AutoCorrect with Coach Charlie Melton. I'm Liz Gill. If you want even more AutoCorrect, Find our podcast on all podcasting platforms for your smart device. Autocorrect is heard on MPB Think Radio, Thursdays at 10 a.m. with a replay Saturdays at 11. So here's some recent recalls. Nissan Rogue SUVs from Smyrna, Tennessee are recalled for corroded harness connectors. Uh, Kia is recalling 2023 Sportage SUVs for improperly deploying airbags. And here's just a general reminder to everybody 
The National Highway Traffic Safety Administration has confirmed in November there was another death linked to the ongoing Takata airbag recall crisis and issued an urgent notice to all drivers to check for airbag-related recalls. And it's so easy to do that, folks. All you have to do is go to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration's website, NHTSA, N-H-T-S-A dot gov slash recall. You just input your VIN or they have a handy-dandy app, and it's the Safer Car app. I went ahead and downloaded it. I put my car, my husband's car, my kid's car, my grandma's car, everybody's VIN number on there, and then you just get a little notification. So you be notified. You know, I was talking about you said the recall about the corrosion on the harnesses. What happens on these vehicles um, if they get any moisture in them? They will get a little green corrosion on them, or they'll get white corrosion on them, and they will not make a good connection. And these new cars today, the voltage has to be precise on anything that's going through there, because if, you, if the voltage is not correct, you're going to burn something up. And that's going to be expensive. <laughs> that's going to be expensive, yes. We're talking about your service schedule for your vehicle. But we're also taking your vehicle repair questions. And don't forget our email address anytime. Send it your questions to auto at mpbonline.org. We've got a friend who's on line one, but I'm not quite sure. Oh, it's Patricia from Mobile. Patricia from Mobile, we're so glad you've called in. What's your comment or question for Coach? Well, I actually am wondering if somebody's trying to scam a poor old lady that doesn't know anything about cars. <laughs> probably. Um, Maybe. <laughs> probably. I know. I know. But, but I'm a truck driver's daughter, so I'm smart enough to know that it might be happening. Um, I have a 2012 Nissan Rogue, and one of my headlights, not the bright light, but the regular light, went out. And when I went in for my oil change, I asked about a price for it. And they said, when they came back out, they said, well, the bulb is 300 and some odd dollars. Get that put in and, you know, the part and the labor. But, you know, it may not just be that it needs a bulb. It may be the whole assembly needs to be done, and you won't know till you get in there, and that's about 850 So my question is twofold. One, can you really not figure that out, um, even on the car this age, until you take it apart? And secondly, um, I just turned over 200,000 miles on the car, so it's like, it has a new transmission in it, and I'm going to try to go about 50 more. So, you know, are the odds good if I do have to pay the 850? You know, well, what I'm and th- I realize that's a math thing. <laughs> yeah, well, what I'm thinking on that question there is, first of all, if they pull the light, they all have bubs in them now. They're just little plug-in bubs. Uh, what they're probably thinking about on there, if the harness is bad, where it plugs into the bub. Now, they may have to replace that little harness there. Now, most manufacturers and most aftermarket, they will have a replacement harness for that. And you just wire it in, and they're somewhere about $25, $30 aftermarket, maybe up to $50 aftermarket for that harness. A lot of times, that's what you're finding over these older vehicles is that maybe the plug in that the harness is bad and you can replace the bub and they burn out so what i would do they can go ahead and replace the bub check the harness and they can check all of that out while they have that light out 
you know, because really it's yeah. a it's a composite light, and that means that it's a the lens and all is just there. You just take the bulb out of the lens, unless it has a uh, high definition lighting. That means it's a high voltage lighting system, and then they would have to change the amplifier in there. So that's what you're. That's why if it's a high uh, voltage light, you know they may have to change the amplifier, and they are different than regular lights. So, but if you're going to spend right. eight fifty and you you got a new transmission and you want another fifty thousand miles on it, eh, eight fifty ain't much to uh, invest if you're going to keep driving the vehicle. Say that again. I said eight fifty is not much money to invest if you're going to keep driving the vehicle another fifty thousand miles. I, I want to jump yeah. in a minute, Patricia. I want to empower sure. you. I mean, I can replace windshield wipers, and I've replaced yeah, headlamp bulbs. <laughs> Um, it's, and especially good for girls because you've got smaller wrists and smaller little hands. I, if you want to give it a go, how much would it cost? Coach, how much do you think, well, how much could a headlamp bulb cost if she walked into one of these auto parts stores? If it's a high intensity light, you know, you're going to pay about a hundred bucks for it. But if you just get a regular headlight, uh, hydrogen light, it's going to cost you about 20 bucks. You yeah I I've if you think of uh, a Christmas tree light it's it's kind of like if a Christmas tree light was a plug not a screw in bulb you just kind of stick your hand in there pull it out and it's it's a a, a wire to a bulb to a wire and you can just kind of pull it out uh, the 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 bulb business out. Be careful not to get any. Uh, don't touch the. Don't touch the the glass light bulbs, the, the glass. But uh, and then yeah. carefully replace it. I, if you're game, or you have a teenager, or twenty, thirty, forty, fifty something in your life who's who's game yeah. to try it, it's an empowering feeling. Now you got to just be careful with if you're going to do it yourself. There are some springs on certain ones that you got to make sure that spring gets back on there because that's what holds the light in. So just be careful. Try it before you take it and pay eight hundred fifty dollars. If you can't do it, then go from there. Yeah. Okay. Well, so eight fifty is about what you would do if they said they were going to replace the whole assembly. That's not unreasonable. Uh, if they're going to replace the whole assembly, that means the lens and everything. And if yeah, you've got a, a 12, yes. it might have some of that um, cloudiness yeah, on it. It may have some, you know, then they're just saying the lens is dirty and the light's not working right because they can't see. Um, you know, and you, you know what I would do on this? I would go ahead and get a second opinion as well because, you know, I wouldn't pay $850 for a light myself. But I would get a second opinion on that as well. Yeah. Okay, well, I'll do that, and I appreciate all the help. And I may give the other, I mean, give it a give it a shot doing it myself because I do do the wipers and a couple of other, you know, things. Yeah, but, if you got uh, small hands, head, you can get in there. It's, it takes small hands. Does it? Yes, it does. Well, I know the mechanic didn't have small hands. That may be why he was wanting to do the whole thing. Yeah, because he, he's going to pull and a lot of stuff. And it was a dealership. That's it was true. A dealership that told me that. Yeah, you I'd know, get a so. second opinion on that. Okie Thank well, you. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. And ladies, so y'all have a great day. Thank you. Bye, Patricia. Our email address where you can send questions is auto at mpbonline.org. We are talking about your service schedule, but that's just between your car repair questions. Hang on, Edwin and Sue. What's in the news? I'm going to tell you next. 
Thank you for listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. Coach Charlie Melton, retired instructor from Clinton High School's Automotive Technology Program, is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill, and I hope you have downloaded our app for your smartphone, the MPB Public Media app, special if you if you're going to be traveling over Christmas or the holidays, take that with you. You'll be able to get your hometown, your home state news. You'll be able to hear our shows. It is fantastic. And it's the season of giving. You can give to MPB. Join MPB is a button on the app where you can make a contribution to Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Autocorrect is heard on MPB Think Radio Thursdays at 10 a.m. with a replay Saturdays at 11. Okay. Uh, in the news, and this is on my agenda for tonight, drive through light displays. Oh, yes. Oh, I love them. I love them. So uh, Southern Lights in South Haven, I think I went to the very first one they had 20 years ago. Uh, it's kind of moved around a little bit, but um, uh, South Haven's Southern Lights is uh, a great one. The Richardson Light Show. God bless all the people who live in their neighborhood. This is just a house in Madison, Mississippi, that has every square inch of their yard cover in lights. But uh, there's a Facebook group. We've got links to all of these things that let you know when they're open and if they cost or if they're free and the etiquette for it. But God bless those neighbors uh, for the Richardsons because that's a, that's, a, that's a deal. I've seen that one before. Magic of Lights at Brandon Amphitheater. That's, uh, I think, a new one this year. Christmas in the Park in Tylertown. That's one. And Lazy Acres Lights in Chunky. We'll have all those addresses and all those um, Facebook uh, posts for where you can get more information about drive-through lights. We're talking about your service schedule but we're taking your email questions, too. That's auto at mpbonline.org. We've got some phone calls. We'd get three more phone calls if I didn't chime in more. on. Anyway, let's go to Edwin to find out about his Malibu. Edwin, we're glad you called in today. What's your comment or question? I have a question uh, for a recurring problem with a 2000 Chevy Malibu. What's your recurring problem? The car kills when I'm driving, and uh, it won't start until it cools off, then it'll start back up. But it doesn't get very hot, but uh, I have uh, brought it to the shop. I've had the first thing that they did was disconnect the thermostat, and it worked fine for a long time. Uh, I would say another two or 3,000 miles. And then it uh, recently did, it killed and it wouldn't start until uh, they replaced the water pump. And the water pump, the new water pump was leaking from the back of the pump through a weep hole, the mechanic told me. And uh, then wasn't corrected. That didn't correct it, so they changed the, uh, put in a new gasket on the water intake manifold. Okay, so does it have? Is it a water leak problem you're having? Is it an overheating problem that you're having, where the vehicle overheats when you drive it? I, I was able to drive it until I drove it home uh, day before yesterday, and it, it, a loud noise started, like a siren or something. And I, it took me a while to figure out where it was coming from, but I, I didn't. 
it, it looks like somewhere around the radiator. And uh, it's cold all night, so it didn't, I don't know what happened. But when I disconnected it, it now it won't start. It's just, uh, the, it turns over real fast. Uh, like that, and it won't start at all. Okay, let me give you just a little couple of things that you can look at. First of all, if you had the water pump replaced because it was leaking and you had the thermostat taken out because it was running hot or you now you hear a noise around the uh, radiator and you hear it going real fast, well, the what it sounds like to me for it going real fast, it sounds like they should have checked the timing belt at first because if the engine goes fast, that means there's no compression and that means that your timing belt is probably broke. Okay. That's, uh, and it will not start if that timing belt's broke. The coolant problems, well, for them changing gaskets and for them uh, changing thermostats, I hate to tell you, it was just a hit and miss. They were just replacing parts, trying to find your problem. Uh, they should have diagnosed your problem before they started changing all those parts because now you're out all that money and you may be out more money now for a timing belt. Mm. So that's what you need to check. Okay, now getting back to that starting fast, that didn't happen until I disconnected the battery. And I remember hearing you say on the show one time that when you replace replace the battery, that uh, you have certain procedures that you have to go through with. Uh, right, where they had to relearn. That's true, but that shouldn't make the engine run fast as of spinning going. No, no. The engine is not running fast. The starter. The starter's running, running fast. Okay. Yeah. Well, is the starter? Is it turning over when the starter uh, runs well, fast? Very fast, and something else is happening. It runs the battery down. Yeah, it sounds like you got a lot of different problems there. I would, you know, it may since you said that the, only the starter's running fast. Go ahead and check your starter. See if your starter is good because it sounds like it may be running fast, not turning the engine. But check that out and just see what's going on and call us back next week and let us know, okay? We uh, we hope you get some of this fixed, Edwin. That uh, <laughs> we, we wish wish you could bring your your car in and we put it here. We do a live show. We could do a live show just on Edwin's vehicle sure on could. everything that's going on in. That's but right. Good luck with that, uh, Edwin. Let's go down to over to Beaumont and talk with Sue now. Sue, thanks for calling in today. What's your comment or question? Hi, I'd like to ask the coach a question. I've got a 2013 Toyota Yaris, best car I ever had. I don't put much mileage on it, but I've never used anything except um, ethanol-free gas. And so the, the places that used to sell it are out of business. And so the last time I put gas in, I put had to put regular gas in it. And the the light came on the dashboard. So I wonder if, how safe is it to use regular gas in my in my car? Because I don't want to mess up anything. And also, what kind of oil, artificial or, or, or natural? Oil, I mean, what kind of oil should I be putting in that car? Okay, first of all, that car is made for uh, unleaded gas uh, with ethanol in it. It's made for that. Uh, if you're putting uh, non-ethanol uh, gas in there, it should run fine. But it should run fine on the other as well because it's oh, made really for good. that. But if you think uh, you need more octane or you I put that higher per, uh, octane gas, like 93 in there, and see if it makes it run okay for you, because that's, you know, the one with no ethanol in it, it's a pretty high octane gas. So you can put the high octane gas in there, like 91 or 93, you should be fine. 
uh, all that should just be fine. And if you think about oil, how you don't use your vehicle that much, you say you don't put much mileage on it, I'd no. go ahead and put synthetic oil in it, and that gives you longer between oil changes. Okay, well, I thank you for that advice. I appreciate that. You're so welcome. Thank you. All right, let's go to Hernando and talk to Mike. Mike, how are you doing today? What's up with your vehicle? Yeah, pretty good, you guys. Uh, I have a little Chevy Spark that I adore, and I've owned a V8 sports car. But anyway, that's not my point. My point is, Coach, I read Motor Trend. I read Car and Driver. I'm following EVs, electric vehicles. I'm interested in them. I like them. But, I'm, you know, the infrastructure to me is still a nightmare. I mean, I won't buy one and drive more than 20 miles away from home because here in Hernando, in Soto County, we only have two chargers. And I don't want to drive all the way to Tupelo or Oxford and pray and hope that there are chargers there. Um, I know there's a source. I know there's an online source to look ahead and see what's available. And I know Shell Oil is instrumental in trying to put as many uh, recharging stations as they can all over everywhere, even though they're a gasoline company, they've jumped with both feet on the electric charging thing. What resources do you look at to follow the progress of the electric vehicle? Because I'm seeing things online about them bursting into flames, and, you know, there's a Tesla that blew up and stuff like that, and that's got me worried. Well, I just look at a lot of different things on the forums and uh, what publications are coming out, TSBs on different vehicles. Uh, you can look at all of those different forums and find out exactly about EVs. Now, if you think about EVs and charging systems, they are there is a form, like you said, that you can, uh, like Gas Buddy, it's a form that will do EVs as well. But if you're looking to see how EVs are coming along, uh, just go to uh, the, Nas- the National Highway Safety. They'll tell you about EVs. And just look at, like you say, you read Car and Driver, and there's a lot of reviews of different EVs. Now, I will tell you, a lot of the people who don't know about them, the batteries, they're still revolving because, you know, if they say that you're going to go 300 miles on an EV on a fully charged battery, well, that's during the summer. Mm-hmm. It's 90 degrees. But then the wintertime, that uh, is going to be cut in half because, once again, batteries drain more because it takes more in the wintertime. Tell me this, because this is a question that bugs me. Power to weight ratio has always determined mileage, you know. But how does that affect an EV? Because these things are weighing 5,000 pounds or more. If you go fast in them, is it depleting the battery quicker? It does the exact It does the exact same thing. More weight you have, harder those motors have to work. You know, you got motors on their electric motors. Uh, If you think about towing a trailer, you know, General Motors is coming out with one that's supposed to be towing a trailer and all. Well, just think about it. You're towing up a trailer up a mountain. Well, it's going to take more stress and strain to get that trailer up there. So it's the same way. It's going to Mm -hmm. take and deplete that battery quicker. Well, I thank you for that because I'm interested in one, but I'm so skeptical at this point. I would like to get one just to drive around DeSoto County, if nothing else. But I'm just leery of them. I mean, you know, it doesn't seem like the technology is quite there yet. I know they're rushing into production. And the government is forcing them on the road. But I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm still skeptical. Well, I got the same thing. I'm still skeptical as well. Mike, just doing a a quick little Google search, there's a website called electricvehicleweb.com. And they bill themselves as a... uh, 
news report, video walkthrough, reviews, and interviews for electric vehicle enthusiasts and prospective buyers. So maybe you should check out electricvehicleweb.com. Maybe that might uh, at least give you something new to read about and dream about. Thanks for calling in. We're discussing your service schedule and taking your repair questions. Send us your emails to our address, auto at mpbonline.org. We have a new car review from Casey Williams coming up. It's a Nissan Pathfinder. I think I see quite a lot of those when I'm at at the stoplight. I think that's a pretty popular car. This is AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. Over the years, the Nissan Pathfinder has been all things to all people. It started out as a two-door, hardcore off-roader, and has evolved into a three-row family-friendly crossover. And the 2023 Platinum Edition we have here really looks good, and it carries your family. I like the exterior styling a lot. I like the big, tall grille. I like the squinty LED headlamps. And I like the contrasting color black roof. looks really good. And the middle pillar on the side kind of connects to the 1987 edition and its triangular windows. Inside, this one's all luxury. It's got quilted leather seats, heated and ventilated up front, heated captain's chairs, a heated leather-wrapped steering wheel, Bose audio, and flat-screen instrument cluster. Of course, it has a heads-up display and all the safety equipment, too. Underneath the hood, a 3.5-liter V6 delivers 284 horsepower. You get 20 miles per gallon in the city, 25 on the highway, and you can still tow 6,000 pounds. All this is going to come at a price. The Pathfinder starts at a reasonable $35,000. This one, with all the luxury equipment on it, $54,785. This is AutoCorrect. If you've missed any of our program, listen to the whole show from our website, autocorrect.mpbonline.org. AutoCorrect is heard on MPB Think Radio Thursdays at 10 a.m. with uh, the replay Saturdays at 11. Stay tuned after the show Thursday. It's at 11 a.m., it's Southern Remedies Kids and Teens with Dr. Morgan McLeod. I'm Liz Gill, but our expert is Coach Charlie Melton, ASC Certified Master Technician. It is time for Coach Charlie's Tip of the Week. Well, you know, we're talking about schedule maintenance. Uh, go to your owner's manual. Make sure that you're looking at that schedule maintenance. If it's anywhere between changing your oil at 3000 to 10000 or checking your tires or multi-point uh, inspections, just go to that owner's manual and look at that schedule maintenance guide. Let's go to Corinth and talk to Jarrett. Jarrett, Jarrett, thanks for calling into AutoCorrect. What's your comment or question? Uh, yeah, I have a uh, 2007 Chevrolet Equinox, and uh, it threw a check engine light several weeks ago, and uh, you know it turned out to be a canister purge valve. So you know I got the part, I replaced it, got rid of the light, um, and then about two days later it popped back up. Um, it was running rough when the code first popped up and then, you know, it, it ran better after I changed it, but now the code's back, but it's not running rough anymore. I'm wondering if there's anything else going on or if the part may be bad or what? Oh, well, you got to think about that's the EVAMP system. Uh, canister purge valve, what it does, it lets the EVAMP, uh, you have a charcoal canister in there and what it does, it lets the fumes of that uh, gas go into the engine is what it does okay so it said you have a solenoid you have a purge valve itself and then you got lines on that system okay that go back to the gas tank so what you need to do even though you change the solenoid or the valve you need to look and see which one there could be another one of those valves bad if it's the 
uh, switch itself or if it's the solenoid or a line. So there's a lot to check on the EVAP system. And I hate to tell you, even where you put the, um, there's a little green cap on a line. It's called where the purge valve is. There's a little green cap on there. And that green is where you bleed the system. So there's a lot of different things on there that it could be, uh, if you change, you change the solenoid, right? Correct. Okay. It could be the vowel itself. So you want to check that vowel itself because the solenoid just opens and closes and lets the uh, vowel, uh, let it come through the vowel. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate you. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Jarrett. Let's go to Ray in Pascagoula. Ray, what's your comment or question for Coach? Good morning, Coach. Good morning. Look, I got two... I- Two, two vehicles. They're both doing the exact same thing. I got. I bought it. I got an F one fifty. I bought it new uh, in seventeen. And I got a. My daughter got a twelve Jeep Wrangler. When it gets under the red light, both of them stalls. Mine, mine stalled. I didn't know the Jeep was stalling until I drove it, and it stalls under the red light. So I'm trying not to take it back to the dealer because of the uh, the race they charge. So I was trying to troubleshoot this thing. It, don't, it don't have the engine lights don't come on. It, they crank, they they'll start right back up when you push the start button. But every now and then, um, they they my truck would kill. My and my truck got uh, about ninety three thousand, and the Jeep got about seventy five thousand miles on. So what what's what's going on? You say they'll just stall. That means they'll just die right there. It, it, it just died right, right under right under the stoplight. Uh, just when it idles, it dies, right? Yes, sir. Okay, so if it idles when it dies, um, on that Ford, I know they have a idle control on there. It's a switch. Um, now, let me ask you a question. You said the check engine light's not on. Is the check engine light working? Because if it stalls, that check engine light's going to pick up some kind of problem. Uh, so what I would do is make sure that check engine light's on. Make sure you cut the key on. That check engine light should come on every time. And then when you uh, crank the vehicle up, that check engine light should go off. But first of all, you need to see if that check engine light is working. Yes, sir. Because right now it sounds like if there's a – it could be a gas problem uh, to run into rich or it could be running too lean. Those will both give it stalls. There could be a vacuum leak on both those engines. You know, so you want to check that and make sure that, first of all, make sure that check engine light's working. Yes, sir. Thank you, Coach. Yes, sir. Well, we didn't get a whole lot about scheduled maintenance, but uh, go through and tell us from my research, <laughs> from my research, there's some maintenance before 30000 at 60000 and 90000 Yeah, I just took the book out of my truck. Uh, I got a 2010 and the different things, just like it. The oil is supposed to be changed at 7,500 miles in my vehicle. You'd rotate the tires. You'd inspect the cabin filters. At 15,000, you'd change your oil, but you'd do a little bit more things. You would check the front end. You would uh, inspect the coolant system, and once again, you'd rotate the tires. And then you get up to 22,000. It goes back to the very first where you just change the oil. You do the multi-point inspection. And then you come up to the 30,000. It's going to replace the engine air filter, the cabin filter, if you have one. Uh, you'd want to, once again, check the brake lines, check the brakes themselves. So there's a lot of things that you would do according to the scheduled maintenance in the owner's manual. If you take it to a dealership, what they'll do, they'll remind you at certain intervals to bring that vehicle in 
and they will do all of these different things. They will change the brake fluid through the system. But you just got to be careful. Some of those things are, the manufacturer says they're necessary, but mm, a lot of money involved in a lot of them, and it's not necessary. At least keep your receipts. Yes. Put a check mark or a done or a date or something just so you remember what you've had done with your vehicle and you don't get something replaced a second time when you just had it done. That's right. That's going to wrap us up for today's AutoCorrect. Our crew is Engineer Jay White, call screener intern Charles Arnold, and our podcast producer is Jermaine Flood. So for Coach Charlie Melton, Master Technician, I'm Liz Gill. Thanks for listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. We'll be right back.